We're starting each episode of Digital Workplace Impact with a little moment of digital workplace inspiration, courtesy of our sponsor, WorkGrid Software. Now, the concept of the digital experience layer is foundational to WorkGrid's approach, and it's a really useful concept for digital workplace professionals to understand. The layer that WorkGrid uses has a single, seamless, consistent experience that covers the many applications employees need to use every day. And as we know, those applications can be bewildering. So this layer improves efficiency, reduces information overload, and removes, I don't know, what should we call it, techno stress. Users don't need to visit multiple applications, IT functions, or have to change core systems. And that's pretty useful concept and experience for us digital workplace professionals. One of the main things that, or some one of the main messages we're trying to convey in the in the report is that you know, AI is not this is not something that's just happening in the future. It's happening right now. It's just super dangerous and usually not accurate to draw that simple conclusion of oh this tech exists therefore that job goes. Maybe, but we really need to analyze the regulatory trends. We need to analyze that technology, other technologies. We need to analyze the customer service interaction, the competitive environment, and then we can get a broad picture of what may happen. So, two things going on for me here, Nancy. One is what a delight it is to be co-hosting a few episodes with you at the moment, and how much I'm enjoying that. And um, I mean, this topic of of AI and automation, it feels to me like it's 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 sort of both been around forever and and never as relevant as it is today. And and one of the things I liked about the conversation we had with with Steve on a DWG research level and Jeff as author of a book called End of Jobs, not End of Work, but End of Jobs, is just kind of starting to sort of do a a sort of stock take on where are we with AI automation as we emerge out of the, if you like, the teeth of the pandemic. I mean, what what, what stayed with you from the conversation? I guess one of the things that really stood out for me was that in the wake of the pandemic, that this point in time wasn't necessarily about introducing a lot of new capabilities around AI and automation, but actually a window of time for organizations in industries like the legal profession to actually catch up Mm. to where major corporates have been for some time. Ditto for public sector agencies. Mm. And I guess the other thing that really sat with me was the impact on people and how as digital workplace teams are moving into the next stage of AI and automation, how they really need to think about the role of digital literacy and change management afresh Mm. within the work that they're doing, because there are going to be new capabilities rolling out we need to make sure that we don't fall back to technology leading the direction, but thinking about organizations as a whole from the perspective of people, where they're getting work done, how they're getting work done, operating with distributed teams, not just necessarily everyone going back to the office, and 
there are many layers to the role that digital workplace professionals need to play now and going forward. Yeah, and I, and I, I suppose what I'm kind of thinking about is, you know, so much of the talk about AI automation is all about efficiency. And, and the thing that we really have been missing is not efficiency. I mean, I think we, it's fair to say that kind of a lot of things worked incredibly efficiently during multiple different lockdowns in multiple different countries and, and in a way that's quite remarkable. But what we really didn't get or what we felt we were losing was connection, um, culture, innovation, serendipity, all of these. And I would love to see these powerful technologies starting to enhance uh, our work in those areas. Because I think so much of the conversation has been about you you take a process, you automate it, and then you need less people. But actually, I think the interesting part is where you, you don't think about it almost like as a an efficiency activity, but you, you see it as something that's going to enhance your capability to connect with each other. And, and that's kind of what stayed with me after the conversation with, with, with Steve and, and Jeff. And they're quite different people, aren't they? I mean, Steve's so sort of drawn into the world of, of practice, practitioners, uh, the examples. And I, I love the way that, that Jeff was, was looking at, I mean, he's got a great example, hasn't he, about the automated telemachine, um, the ATM. Um, and then he puts me on the spot and asks me, so how many, how many jobs are, are in that sector? Uh, you'll have to kind of listen to the episode to kind of get the answer to the question, but that was interesting. Yeah, and the notion that, um, you know, there is an opportunity for job enrichment and new skills to be introduced into the workforce and exploring that as part of the conversation as well. Mm, absolutely. Let's, let's head over to today's interview, Nancy. Well, today we're very excited to have in our studio Steve Binghall, who, of course, is one of DWG's benchmarking evaluators, published research authors, and strategy consultants. And we're also joined in the studio today with Jeff Walt, who is the co-founder of Work Market and also an author of a new best-selling book, which is The End of Jobs, and it's all about the rise of on-demand workers and agile corporations. So I think we are going to have an interesting chat today about automation and AI. And Steve, maybe I can start with the first question to you. I know that you've just written a piece of research for DWG members, and it's all about AI and automation and the digital workplace. And I was hoping you could start by telling us a little bit about how you came upon selecting this research topic for DWG members. Sure. Um, and, and great to be here, Nancy. Thank you. So, um, yeah, one of the aims of DWG re DWG research is we we always look into sort of um, emerging topics in in the digital workplace and, and kind of look at future trends to sort of help our members and and sort of other other professionals kind of navigate some of the challenges um, 
around them. And obviously, AI and automation is a massive, massive topic um, that is that you know increasingly we're getting lots of questions about it from from members, in, and, and it's coming up again and again in in the conversations we're having. So I think it was an obvious area that we always needed to 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 focus on and, and more specifically we ask uh, each year we have we have a an annual survey of members where we ask them what are the topics you'd like to see in the research program and this was a this was a very strong strong candidate so i think we kind of had that that mandate i guess for for, for doing for, for, for writing this report from, from a personal perspective you know i think it was i think we really wanted to try and try and Look at look into this topic because I think AI and automation are it's a very emotive topic. There's a lot of noise that's associated with it, both kind of negative. So you know, I think this is something Paul you've featured on the podcast before. There's there can be some sort of dystopian associations with AI. You know, it's you know, you know we're all going to lose our jobs, or we're we're all going to you know. It's going to be the end of mankind. It's going to be driven by AI eating eating the universe or whatever, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think we wanted to look at something. I wanted to look at something with a very kind of uh, more level-headed and more pragmatic view. At the same time, I think there's also perhaps some kind of utopian associations with with AI. Um, and in fact, one of the examples we we feature in in the report is we quote from 2005 in a, in a technology timeline that was published by BT, an organization here in the UK, that predicted by 2020 we would have an AI member of parliament and, and um, in the 2020s AI would bring dolphins up to the level of human intelligence. So I think, you know, I think maybe that was written perhaps with a bit of a sparkle in the eye of the, of the authors who are wanting to stimulate some debate, but there can be a lot of hype and, 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 um, and, kind of marketing messages i suspect so we really wanted to look at something that was very um kind of down to earth and and, and, and pragmatic are are dolphins not up to the level of human intelligence at least to members of parliament <laughs> well <laughs> I, have, I i would probably vote for a dolphin i have to say based on some of our leaders but well yeah, I, I think actually, Steve, what, what it does, and, and Jeff's picked up on it, the dolphin point, um, which is just a complete um, sidetrack for us. But um, one of the things that's interesting since 2010 is that I think we've realised how intelligent the dolphins are and whether human beings are actually going to ca- catch up with them, which I think was probably what you're thinking. And the report basically still has the whole of the, the whole of the next decade to get that right. So we could be playing this back yeah. as an example of, of of people who refuse to believe that AI would have such a dramatic impact. So, so. Mm. so Steve, before we ju- jump into some of the details around the research, I know that you mentioned in passing that this has been one of the trickiest reports that you've sat down to write. Can you tell us a little bit as to why? Well, yeah, I think I, I, well, so when I write these reports, you know, I usually come in, it's an area I've worked in before, and I haven't really, I think I, I found when I came to write about AI and automation, actually, I'd made a, made a lot of assumptions, and actually, I knew a lot less than, than I thought I did. So I think, you know, writing, in, in a way, writing it, writing the report was a bit of a kind of, you know, was a... a, a, a I, perhaps the people who read it are going to go on the same kind of journey as me in terms of think, uh, th- of finding out there's a lot more to this a lot more to this 
this topic. And it's also very wide in scope. So, you know, AI um, and automation are, you know, are sort of happening, you know, over a huge range of different kind of areas and topics, you know, so if particularly for digital workplace professionals, you know, it covers things like employee experience, search and findability, knowledge management, HR processes, chatbots, you know, and it, and I think it was it was quite easy to go down a sort of bit of a rabbit hole um, where, as we found, as I've sort of found out more and more. So I, I think, um, you know, in, in, we're trying to deliver something quite wide in, wide in scope because it's so, it's so important. So I found it challenging. At the same time, I found it the most interesting report I've, I've probably written for a while. So it was, it was a, it, it was a really, for, for me personally, it was a, it was a great piece of, uh, of work to be involved in. Yeah, and Jeff, can I um, bring you in? And and one of the things Steve said there was that AI automation is quite an emotional topic. Um, and I, I think it's quite curious, isn't it, that something that's, if you like, so technical and technological and digital also evokes a lot of very strong emotional reactions in people. Um, why, why do you think that is? Well, I, I think it has a lot to do with the fear mm. associated with with what these new technologies might do. And and Steve very rightly points out this kind of period of, of freaking out that people have. You know, they see headlines and they react to headlines. And so I certainly applaud the effort to do serious work and actually dive in and understand the data, understand the trends, understand what companies are actually doing. Because in doing those types of things, we can kind of allay our fears and understand industry by industry, job function by a job function, sometimes company by company, how these changes will actually take place. Because if we look at the history of work, we are full of examples of doomsdayers saying, oh my gosh, all the jobs are going to end because we have the weaving loom. All the jobs are going to end because we have an automobile. All of those things are, are we're littered in history with examples of people having this kind of fear. And in some cases, it turned out to be rational. In some many, many cases, it turns out to be an irrational fear. And we can combat the irrational fear with the kind of work that uh, that Steve is doing. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it is quite interesting, isn't it? Because I, I interviewed Andrew Yang, who, who stood as US presidential candidate in 2020 and is now standing and is the front runner for the uh, next mayor in New York. And and he was really saying that one of the reasons why he wanted it was in favour of a universal basic income was because of the inevitable destruction of so many jobs through automation. Um, is that kind of part of the same doomsday scenario? And then I'm thinking about the effects of COVID and the increase of automation through through that, through safety and um, uh, concerns. Uh, do you do you feel that those concerns are exaggerated or yes hmm. okay why just full stop yes i just think they're completely exaggerated and you know it is is it possible that those things that uh that andrew is talking about can come true of course it's possible i just think they're very low probability concerns hmm. do you have an example that you kind of like to to reference where sure. we see not only that automation comes in, but that it maybe creates more work. The example I love to talk about uh, is the ATM. 
I mean, the ATM wasn't trying to disguise what it was trying to be, Paul, right? It was an automated teller machine. It's a machine that is automating the job of the teller. And the ATM first appeared in every bank, or finally appeared in every bank branch in the United States anyway, in 1995. And in 1995, there were 500,000 people employed as bank tellers in the United States. 25 years later, do you know how many people are employed as bank tellers in the United States right now? No. 600,000. Now, look, the point is not that the technology did what is called kind of a cobot scenario, where the repetitive high volume process of taking in money and giving out money was now done by the machine and the teller could come out from behind the bulletproof glass and maybe have an iPad and do more enhanced customer interactions, maybe upsell investment products and mortgage products. That is part of the story. But part of the story was also job losses. We went from an average of 21 tellers per branch down to 13 tellers per branch. And historically, when you see a job function that has a lot of repetitive high-volume processes, you see almost 50% of job loss. And that's actually what we saw with bank tellers. But the number of bank branches in the United States nearly doubled because of economic growth, because of regulatory changes to the banking system. The point being that it's just super dangerous and usually not accurate to draw that simple conclusion of, oh, this tech exists, therefore that job goes. Maybe, but we really need to analyze the regulatory trends. We need to analyze that technology, other technologies. We need to analyze the customer service interaction, the competitive environment, and then we can get a broad picture of what may happen. Because in 1995, all the quote-unquote experts were saying, oh my gosh, bank teller jobs, they're all going to go to zero. And they haven't. They may in the future, but they didn't over the medium term from that 1995 prediction. And I would be beyond shocked in the medium term if that occurred going forward now. So Jeff, fast forward to 2021. Tell us a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing relative to this industry space, specifically for the digital workplace. Well, I mean, look, the most painfully obvious is, of course, remote work. And, you know, my thesis and the framework I establish or try to walk through in my book is we need to look at history. We need to look at data. We need to think about how companies actually engage workers. And if we look through those lenses, we can have a good idea about how the world of work may evolve. So if we look at remote work, let's start with some history. Uh, about 1.5% of the workforce worked remotely in industrialized economies 10 years ago in 2010. When we got to pre-pandemic, it had grown to 3%. Now, 100% increase from 15 to 3%, that's very unusual in the world of work. It only usually happens when you have a very small number to start with and some sort of new technologies coming on stream. And we certainly had that with remote work as we think about 2010 to 2020. We had Zoom and all of the related technologies for video conference. We had project management softwares like Asana and Trello and Basecamp. And these things enabled people to work in a remote context. But prior to the pandemic, we had these two big impediments of policies, procedures, and infrastructure. Impediment number one and impediment number two were mindsets of people saying, well, I know all the studies say that remote workers are happier, healthier, they're more engaged, they have higher retention rates, they cost us less, they cost the worker less, but I think 
that productivity equals presence. So we all had, so we had that mindset as a second impediment and the pandemic, you know, forced both of those things in March of 2020 to change. And so now when we think about the digital workplace, when we think about the future of work, we start to see about 8% of the workforce is going to work remotely in the God willing soon post pandemic world. But the bigger change is the flexible workforce, people that are not fully remote, because remote is defined as more than 50% of the time you are not going into that office, but people that'll work three days a week or every third week they'll work remotely or work from home. Those flexible work arrangements are going to become the predominant part of the workforce, and those changes weren't going to happen as rapidly without the horrific pandemic that we went through. So as you look forward from 21 forward, you start to see a more remote and a more, and importantly, a more flexible workforce going forward. Certainly, you know, we've talked about the fact that uh, COVID has uh, been an accelerator for the digital workplace and that, in fact, it really put the digital workplace on the map in quite a meaningful way in that, it's now at the center of organizational business continuity and business resiliency plans. Have you seen any interesting AI or automation initiatives over the last 12, 15, 18 months, Jeff, in particular? I think that what we've seen is a lot of uncertainty over the last 12 months, certainly. And as people rush to say, oh, the pandemic has changed the future of work, or the pandemic's on this, the pandemic's on that, I've always said, well, let's wait. Let's wait and see, right? Like, we just don't know what's going to happen. We need to see the data. And so as we start to see the data, and we start to see if companies have increased spend on robotics, on AI, uh, because what we've seen from the data is actually a pullback from the excitement of 2019, um, 2018, 2019, seen a little bit of a pullback. So we'll see how much of that pullback lasts and we'll see what happens going forward. So I, 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 the short answer is we don't know yet. Mm. Yeah, and, and Steve, I mean, one of the things that, that strikes me that, that, we, that we are seeing so far is it's not so much new technology or new levels of automation, but if you look at the way that Microsoft Teams has flowed into the world of education, for better or for worse, the way that it's been brought into the healthcare hospital environments, it, it strikes me that one of the changes that we have seen, and I was talking to somebody else uh, locally who works in the uh, justice system and she was talking about how much the uh, the court procedures and and uh, uh, justice system has moved online and it feels to me like the, the automation is not so much new and different tech but just a kind of deeper penetration into into new areas is is that something that you've seen oh absolutely yeah the scaling up of the scaling up of teams into virtually <laughs> into almost everything we do seems to be seems to 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 have kind of happened and it's interesting we do a we do a um so obviously i can see it with my own eyes so uh, you know i've got two teenagers and uh, they've both been on teams for most of the day doing doing uh, homeschooling so you you you're seeing in that they also start to then you know use zoom and 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 teams with their 
friends for their social interaction which we're having so for the lockdown so you've got already got a generation now used to using remote those remote working tools that were when we launched them in you know into into organizations over the last 20 years felt felt sort of quite new and uh, quite pioneering but now it's it's kind of it's kind of second nature you know um you have the you have your your doctor doctor's appointment over over zoom etc so it's absolutely infiltrating kind of a lot of the interactions that would have obviously happened physically and you can start to see that also in then terms of where not just meetings but kind of things like where people are trying to um replicate the the culture amplification and the and the kind of social social um communities that they have f- from physical physical uh, workplaces so you know in person when you're in the when you're in the office you know there's a there's a lot of sort of informal networking and and and, and just connection that you have and you're, you're you're seeing you know people increasingly trying to, to to work that within within teams and microsoft is doing that by you know trying to you know enhance the experience uh, you're making it you know so the latest the latest update you can now you know do Clauses and smiles and things for you know for more like events and stuff like that. So so Teams is 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 um it's 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 invading everything we're we're kind of doing. But as you said, I don't think fundamentally it's not really that different. It's just it's just scaled up extra bits, extra bells and whistles. At the end of the day, though, it's it's not it's not fundamentally that 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 different. It's more taking the, the, the things that many of us perhaps were were already doing and extending that to things that were where uh, people weren't doing it. So. This is a this is just a great area where there probably won't be the snapback. And so people are talking a lot about all right, we have this tech acceleration in digital payments, in digital commerce, in digital work, but there will be a snapback. We're not all going to continue to be remote workers, right? At the height of the pandemic, 40% of industrialized countries' workforces were working remotely. That won't happen once the pandemic is over. But you have things like what you guys have just talked about in regards to digital services, especially in government and legal, where they were so antiquated before those more, probably aren't going to snap back. It's not going to, they're, they're going to say, all right, well, everything we were doing during the pandemic that we declared legal where you could sign your will with your lawyer uh, on via Zoom as opposed to going in notary is fine. They're not going to go back and be like, no, 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 that's not fine anymore. You have to now go back in person. Those are good things. But to your points, it is taking existing technologies and moving them to sectors that were incredibly antiquated that probably would not have changed what becomes very interesting and what we still have to see is what that snapback looks like. How much people, how much are people are going to go back to restaurants versus eat at home? How much are people going to go back to stores and malls versus ordering on Amazon? How much are people going to go back to the workplace because we're social animals and we love those interactions around the water cooler. We don't want to go back nine to five. That's for darn sure. And so that's why that flexible work arrangement becomes predominant, but people also don't want to stay at home. And they don't want to be 100% remote. And when we look at survey data, those two points are incredibly clear. That nobody wants, not but nobody, very few people, less than 5%, want to go back 9 to 5. And five, only 5 to 10% want to stay remote. That middle 85 to 90% want to be back in the office and they want to be with their colleagues. 
Yeah, and I, I think the interesting point, and I, I completely agree, um, that, that there will be a snapback, but of course it's not going to be to where we were in Agreed. October 2019. It's, 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 I think there's already been a level of absorption and appetite for, for the technology. And I suppose in this, let's call it hybrid world of work, the importance of these increasingly automated intelligence systems um, is going to be far more part and parcel of this mobile, flexible, portable world of work. And I, I find it fascinating when you look at healthcare, uh, judiciary, uh, organize and and then within the corporate area, organizations that could have worked more remotely beforehand, but didn't, like the legal profession, but now have have kind of switched over to it. And I suppose we're going to see the see this deeper saturation of of AI and automation coming into the world of work. Um, uh, Steve, can I just ask you to give us a, a kind of some of the top line findings from the from the research report? Sure. So I suppose one of the one of the main things that, or some of the, one of the main messages we're trying to convey in the in the report is that you know AI is not this is not something that's just happening in the future. It's happening right now, and I think that was the case even before the pandemic as well. Um, you know, so you look at any any digital workplace, and you know you have sort of elements of AI and certainly automation, kind of as running as a thread through many kind of products that you, that you you know that you're going to deploy or tools that you're going to deploy across across the digital workplace so i think that was one of the messages is and, and the, uh, we, we've reflected in the title it's about automation ai and automation today and tomorrow so i think that was that was an important thing um another uh, another particularly interesting thing for me was that um I think there's sometimes there's a, a tendency to think of AI as something that's just sort of plug and play and it kind of just happens. And it may be that's the direction it will go in. And and, and, and we're kind of seeing that with with some of the offerings that Microsoft are sort of pushing, like particularly with the Microsoft Viva and Viva Topics, where it's going to sort of automatically um, sort your content into different into into different topics of like automate your knowledge management um but i think actually if you really want to get certainly at the moment if you want to really want to get value out of ai and automate automation um often there's a lot of of governance and sort of foundational work that needs to go to go into it and i don't think everyone sort of really appreciates this all all the time so uh, you know if you want to you know, for for automation, or if you want to increase you uh, use increase findability, so you're going to kind of surface insights and things. You're going to do have to do things around data governance, data harmonization. You might have to have a corporate taxonomy in place if you're doing sort of advanced um, machine learning, and uh, which is based on these kind of data inputs. If you then if you don't sort of look after the the after the the, the underlying data and you kind of make some changes it could sort of undo the machine learning that you've done so that and that needs to be tightly managed so i think there's a whole there's a whole layer of of, of other of other 
background stuff that needs to be, that needs to be done. And I think that's a, an area where digital workplace professionals kind of can have a have a sort of real role role to play. And I think another kind of area, and I think I I, I think this is really fascinating, is this whole area of of um, AI and automation ethics. So, uh, you know, I'm, I was aware of. AI ethics. Uh, I think again, Paul, you had a fascinating podcast about this um, a few last year. I think, um, uh, and this is a kind of growing area. But I think it's actually something that organisations need to think about now, because actually, even doing some re reasonably sort of, I suppose, if you're sort of automating kind of some fairly mundane things, for example. It's, it does actually start to touch on ethical areas far more quickly than people realize. So, you know, you can be, it's, there's elements of privacy if you're using people's data. There's this whole area of, of bias. Um, I think there's an area of transparency. So if you're kind of doing stuff with with algorithms, what what do people have sort of transparency over what you're doing with 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 their with their data? And there is this element around uh, automation on people's jobs. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I agree with Jeff. I think the the kind of doom mongering about it has been uh, certainly in the moment is just is is has isn't just not justified. However, it's quite possible that if you automate a process in your organisation, does that mean that's going to impact someone's role in a, in, a, in a kind of negative way? Um, so there's so there's a lot of things, and and also future ethics. So you you know, AI and automation are developing at breakneck speed. So there's I think there's ethical dilemmas around the uh, kind of a, around the the corner. And there was a recent example from a large financial services organisation who they implemented I think quite innocently a sort of um, a tool which looked at people's time spent at their desks i think this was obviously before the before the the pandemic hit and that caused a, a, a big they didn't do the change management aspect correctly and they had to undo that that um uh that initiative because people were worried it was like a big brother aspect even though it was probably quite well-meaning so i think there's a lot of you know it's it's uh ethics is a far bigger area than than i think people kind of realize so, Steve, you've hit a couple of really meaty topics, impacts including governance, ethics. I'd love to bring you back into the conversation, Jeff, and see what other impacts you see in the mix here as well. Well, first, I would certainly applaud Steve and, and his team because that, 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 that's the real work that needs to be done as people think about what are the impacts today and what are the impacts tomorrow. Um, Look, what I would say in, in my main thrust in this is always you can't paint everything with a broad brush. And any company, any executive, any worker that is thinking about, well, how is AI going to impact me? How is it going to impact my function? How is it going to impact my company? How is it going to impact my industry? The answer is it's different in every single industry. And so you need to be very mindful of the trends going on in your industry around technology, but also the other things that we talked about, the customer service aspects, the, the competitive environment, the regulatory environment. I mean, look, the technology has existed to displace every waiter and waitress for 10 years. And yet we've seen little to no job losses, pandemic aside, obviously, in that industry because customers don't want that experience. 
So just because a tech exists doesn't mean that the job goes away. And just because a tech exists and does job losses in one industry, one function, doesn't mean that it will in yours. And so one of the more disturbing things that I see now are people painting with a broad brush, people not using data and looking at history and making very simplistic conclusions around very, very complex and in a lot of cases, specialized issues. And Steve, anything to add, whether it's uh, in terms of you know, additional high points around the research or, or the impacts as we're exploring those? Um, I, I, well, it's interesting what Jeff said about being being specific. So I think that's that's um, you know, is obviously from a company to company or an industry to industry uh, and process to process perspective. That's very, that's that is very very important. Uh, and I think I think the, the granularity of that of that of looking at the detail and judging each um, the value of of of, of different AI and autom- automation. Um, technologies really has to be done, as Jeff said, on a case by case basis. Because you know AI is it's fundamentally an umbrella term covering a range of different uh, different different technologies. It's not some kind of homogenous thing. Yeah, and the use cases, particularly that we cover in the in the report, are very very different. You know, you you're looking at things that you know for recruitment processes. You're looking at things for, to cover kind of security. You're covering health and well-being. All these things are very very different. And and the AI you use, and the approach you use, and and the approach to data is just going to be different from 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 case to case. Um, I, I think another interesting trend. That we do cover in the report, which we haven't mentioned so far, is also this kind of growth of um, kind of more citizen developers and and super users who can who are starting to be able to create kind of solutions that that uh, that use AI and, and deliver automation without the help of IT professionals. That's quite a profound change. And I think we're only, I don't think we've really kind of quite got to, got to, got to grips with it. But, you know, Microsoft have already rolled out virtual power agents um, as part of the power platform where, you you know, it's got an authoring canvas where kind of non-IT professionals can, can create kind of some pretty convincing chatbots and, and, and drive some automation. You're finding that particularly that sort of low-code and no-code platform is, is being driven through different different kind of products across different service lines, you know, like HR, employee experience platforms, et cetera. So, yeah, I think as part of certainly the one thing, that a role that digital workplace professionals can do is to kind of help drive some of that the digital literacy and the and the kind of change management that a can help users get the best out of AI and tools uh, help and help them evaluate when they're using AI and tools in so in, in an ethical way, but also support kind of more automation and AI that we're going to see uh, distributed throughout the organisation and decentralised um, as. Um, as these as, as these sort of no code and low low code solutions uh, get deployed and effectively democratize AI and, and automation, so I think it's going to be in a very interesting uh, few years ahead. Yeah, and and Jeff, uh, I mean, just thinking about this from a workforce point of view, because your 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 book's got the intriguing title of the end of jobs. Um, 
uh, I think I don't think you mean the end of work. I think you mean the end of jobs. And um, what what are the implications for the future workforce? And and has that been f- shifted through the pandemic? So you're certainly right. I, I do not mean the end of work. The end of jobs was kind of this construct we've had for some time in the industrialized workforce of nine to five, one office, one manager. And that job had been evolving pre-pandemic, and the pandemic certainly sped it up, to the um, work from anywhere, always on, fluid, team-based job. And teams are something we talked about uh, a bit earlier. And so a- as I think about you know the changes that are coming to the workforce, there's there, if I could tangent for a second, which is Look, I I am very optimistic. I I don't necessarily paint a utopian picture of, oh my gosh, everything's going to be so wonderful and robots are going to do all of our mundane tasks and we can all focus on family and love and science. That I think is a long-term vision for the future that I am actually optimistic about. But in the near term, there will be job losses. AI, robotics, machines will continue to take jobs. They've been taking jobs for a tremendous period of time, the manufacturing sector has lost about 40% of jobs, not all of them to low-cost manufacturing, but to automation and to machines doing those jobs. The challenge that we will face as a society is how do we reskill those workers from the jobs, the industries, the companies, the functions that are going to be automated and move them to the high-growth jobs that are going to be created? And this is something that societies have done incredibly poorly because we have gone through these changes many times before. This is what many are calling the fourth industrial revolution, which is to say that three other times we have had change at this scale before. And anytime you see a job function that has a repetitive high volume process in it, the same thing over and over again, lots of times, it gets automated away. Over time, it gets automated away. And so AI is just the last or the most recent, I should say, certainly won't be the last, of many new technologies that have come on stream that have massively increased productivity and therefore have taken jobs from people doing repetitive high-volume processes. But every time, we're able to create more jobs. But the gap in between is how we reskill the workers that are in the industries that are dying, the functions that are dying into the places that are growing. And historically, we have not done this very well, and we're currently not doing it very well. And so that that's my, my big concern when I think about AI's impact on the workplace. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I think, you know, COVID has shown us what matters just in life uh, and work. Um, and I think one of the things I don't hear people craving more efficiency. What I hear is them craving more culture, more connection. And and I think it would be really good to see the AI, the automation building uh, and, and enhancing these much more sort of subtle aspects. Um, I mean, I feel that what I've learned during the pandemic on a digital workplace level is not how good the technology is, but how kind of disappointing the technology is. Perhaps because I work in this area, it's been absolutely essential and that's fantastic. But really the experience that we get from a flat two-dimensional version of each other 
is is so kind of weak compared with what the physical experience is. So, Nancy, any final uh, thoughts from you? What I was going to say is that um, as we look to wrap up today's conversation, I thought it would be really helpful to get a last word from Steve and then Jeff. Yeah, so a kind of last word, uh, I guess, I think if I was... If I was talking to digital workplace professionals, which is um, which is uh, which is who the report is aimed at, I would say I think it's time to do something. So, you know, AI and and automation, it's happening. It's happening all around you. Digital workplace professionals have a great role to play in establishing governance, driving awareness, helping people. You know. Do the right thing by establishing, you know, uh, an ethical framework. Uh, we have a it's a fascinating area. It's 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 been never been more important because of the, the scale up of of remote working. So um, time to dust down your your AI and automation kind of strategy and and and, and get involved. I think. Certainly some sage counsel from my point of view. Over to you, Jeff, for the last words. I would just tell people to be wary of any predictions they see uh, that are painting with a broad brush, any predictions that are giving very simple conclusions. This stuff is incredibly complicated. And if you really want to understand it, you got to do the work and you got to read reports from people like Steve that are doing the work. And that'll give you a better understanding of 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 how this future of work will unfold yeah and core to this is really focusing on those fundamentals as steve talked about it's not just the exciting side of what these technological developments can bring through ai and automation but the need to really focus on the fundamentals around people governance ethics etc paul i think that brings us to time for today Yep, that's great. I mean, AI, automation, intelligence systems, it's a topic that we keep visiting and revisiting through the podcast because it's just part of the world that we're moving into. And I think this has been a really timely insight around what the current state of play is. And when are people going to be able to get the report, Steve? Uh, hopefully, um probably when you finish it <laughs> yeah but well, it's it's very nearly finished um so it should be mm. on the shelves well on the on the digital shelf for members <laughs> in in, a, in about three or four weeks i'd have thought so and you know just as another thought we should also remember to be wary of the dolphins and and, and what they might be doing so somebody somebody take an action <laughs> item keep keep an eye on those guys uh, absolutely how would we yeah, I mean, we wouldn't know if they were significantly more intelligent than us. You know, that could be a sign of our own ignorance, getting back to the dolphins. Yeah, yeah. my head is now spinning. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, um, it's been a pleasure, Nancy, and, and great to have you, Jeff and Steve, um, on the conversation today. Great. Thanks, Paul. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore 
underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.